I'm John DiLiberto, and you're hearing a special edition of The Echoes Podcast. Avant-garde composer and guitarist Glenn Branca has died. It was announced by his wife and musical collaborator Reg Bloor on Facebook. He was 69 years old. According to Bloor, Branca passed away in his sleep on May 13th from throat cancer. Branca was best known for his guitar armies, creating a wall of distorted overtone layers with multiple guitars and later custom-designed stringed instruments. It was a glorious, all-encompassing sound mass as exhilarating in its own right as the texture sounds of Ligeti or Penderecki. On the other hand, composer John Cage called it evil. In a special podcast, we go back to an episode of Totally Wired that featured Glenn Branca. Before we do that, though, I want to tell you about a composer at the opposite end of that spectrum, Kevin Wood. Kevin is a keyboardist who works in world fusion, focusing on sacred traditions and styles, bringing them in to a Western melodic modality. He's a winner of the Zone Music Award in the past. On his latest album, Eternal, he combines sacred and tribal chant with classical instrumentation to create a world music landscape. The album features the wonderful cellist Jamie Sieber, as well as South African cellist Francois LaRue. Eternal by Kevin Wood is available from Amazon, iTunes, and other online retailers. And now we're going to go back to an episode of Totally Wired, a documentary series that ran in the 1980s. One episode featured the guitarist Glenn Branca and Paul Drescher. Right now, Kimberly Haas is going to take us to the Glenn Branca segment. Glenn Branca passed away just this past week. This is the music of Glenn Branca. It has sent people screaming from theaters, covering their ears in pain. It was denounced as evil by John Cage, the denizen of the avant-garde. But there's more to Glenn Branca's music than excruciating volume. I'm definitely not trying to blow people's ears out. And uh, I mean, to people who aren't used to coming rock to rock concerts, I mean, sure, I guess it's really loud, but uh, <laughs> it's not that loud, you know. Glenn Branca, a 37-year-old composer and guitarist, uses the devices of rock, but his music has less to do with the Rolling Stones than it does with the texture music of Penderecki and the minimalism of Philip Glass and Steve Reich. After experimenting with some early new wave groups like the Theoretical Girls and Static, Branca gained renown in 1980 when he lined up four or more electric guitars and a drummer cranked them up to full volume, and blasted through a series of repeated rhythmic variations. It was the dissonance side to Philip Glass's new tonality. Well, see, at this point, uh, when they're talking about tonality, I think dissonance is included. Uh, I think tonality, when they talk about tonality, at least right now, they're talking more about the way the music is structured than, uh, than, than the, the, sound, the actual sound of the music. Uh, I think, uh, see, there's a difference between dissonance and noise. <laughs> there's a difference between atonality and noise, and uh, I think a lot of what I do would definitely be considered to be noise. They're wrong.
Disheveled and intense, Bronca's been likened to the poet Lord Byron in appearance. On stage, conducting his large ensembles, he contorts himself like a messianic Elvis Presley gone spastic. He calls his current works symphonies, although they don't follow classical symphonic form. His titles play on the ambiguities between rock and classical music, as well as the spirituality he feels in his compositions like The Ascension. The religious overtones are there, but so are other overtones. That's what I liked about the names. The Ascension was a name that the piece kind of got. I felt a relationship between my music and some earlier 20th century composers who also worked with, for some bizarre reason, uh, these religious titles, specifically Messian and Penderevsky. And both of them probably have pieces named The Ascension. I wouldn't be surprised. I know one of them does. I felt that there was a connection, and, I, and, it, and it was a thing that came up. And it came to my mind, and it just felt so right to be getting up on a rock stage and calling a piece The Ascension, if you want to know the truth. It was really a matter of the context at the time. And I really felt very strongly about doing serious music in a pop or a commercial context that uh, it was really part of what the music was about. His third symphony is subtitled Gloria. I mean, the thing I loved about Gloria was that it was one of the first songs I learned how to play on the guitar, and it's still one of my favorite songs, and it seems to be a song that is every two or three years always covered by someone who's interesting to me. I mean, it's specifically what Patti Smith did with it, and it almost has become a kind of like uh, archetypal rock song. So I felt as though I was part of that progression of like, the transmutation of Gloria. And, but I also like the fact that uh, it has this relationship uh, mainly to what a lot of classical composers have done in the past. I mean, 17th and 18th century composers uh, constantly using this term either as the name of a piece or the name of a section of a piece. And it's become, you know, really uh, also as closely related to classical music as to rock. Here I thought, here it is the perfect word, which is absolutely both and neither at the same time. So, okay, that's Gloria. So, sure, if you want, to, it is religious, but it's a lot of other things, too. With his third symphony, composed in 1983, Branca began working with the harmonic series, the set of overtones that are within every note. Sitting in his New York office amidst a jungle of guitars, amplifiers, and custom-designed instruments, Branca explained the ideal harmonic series. The ideal basically was determined um, from kind of investigating the vibration of a string from the start, starting with Pythagoras. and. Um, 
people saw that when a string was vibrating, it didn't vibrate in one mode. It wasn't, say, just vibrating at uh, 40 hertz. It was also vibrating at the same time that it was vibrating at 40 hertz, or 40 cycles per second, or 40 vibrations a second, oscillations per second, whatever. Uh, it was also vibrating at 80, and 120, and 160, and multiples of 40 as far as you could hear or see. You can actually see this vibration in some cases if you look really closely. Uh, the fundamental, or the, or the 40 hertz tone, was the most dominant. Um, but the other tones existed in lesser and lesser degrees, and the other vibrations were definitely there. These other vibrations uh, or, or, or modes that the string was vibrating in um, have been called harmonics. And uh, this, this term harmonics is used in other uh, areas, uh, even in music, and sometimes it doesn't even refer to a musical tone. I mean, it's referred to a mathematical ratio relationship. And um, this, rela this relationship seems to continually be popping up in other, other areas. I mean, it, it exists in almost every scientific discipline that, that exists that I've looked into. It seems like the harmonic series plays a very prominent part. When, of course, this, it also exists in virtually every natural form. I mean, the first one, and it's usually referred to as a, a, nod, a thing called the Nautilus seashell, which is quoted the most, as close to a perfect ideal representation of the ratios of the harmonic series as far as its growth pattern is concerned. I don't want to misrepresent myself by saying that, you know, I'm working with an idea which is totally new. It's not. I mean, the most prominent composer who's worked with these intervals is Harry Parch. Um, and, um, working with uh, phenomena in music is certainly nothing new either and I mean Lamont Young at the moment is definitely the most prominent composer who's working with the harmonic series and with acoustic phenomena I do think that I've got a different take on it than um, than anyone that I know of my main interest again as I said before isn't so much the intervals of the series but is the compositional potential of the series and the the, 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 the inherent structural process of, that the series implies and basically this is what's called just intonation and I mean there must be in the world in the Western world alone hundreds of composers working with just intonation in, in all different uh, in, in all different variations of it. Branca confesses that he can't compose specifically for the harmonic effects that he gets. The sound that I'm going for, and in some cases in a very non-specific way as far as the sound itself, because I don't really know how it occurs, and it certainly isn't just reinforcement of harmonics, that it is, it's something to do with, with a physical resonance that in some ways has even more to do, has more to do with even what goes on in the ear. I think it starts to relate to psychological things, to psychic things, to uh, every sense, every part of the physical sensation. and. Uh, I mean, that might be carrying something very far, but I have investigated this, and it's, uh, it isn't a simple thing that can be written down on a piece of paper, what, what is occurring. for his guitar armies, but many of his works use custom-made mallet instruments, altered guitars, and keyboards. 
There were no guitars in Symphony Number no. Two or Symphony Number no. Three, and Symphony Number no. Four only had three guitars, and they were used. They weren't used much because I hadn't had time to adapt the guitars to this tuning system. It wasn't until I got to this last piece, the Symphony Number no. Five, that uh, I could bring the guitars back again because the main focus of that piece was to get the guitars so I can use them again. And actually, that was sort of the idea from the start: was to kind of develop this this uh, kind of string orchestra. And I wanted some other timbres and some little more uh, variety and versatility that I can get from just using the guitar. There were so many things that I couldn't do with the guitar unless I had a hundred of them on stage, and that was just unnecessary. I mean, my, you know, one of my keyboards is equivalent to you know, 10 or 11 guitars, and as far as the number of strings I've got to work with. Lost in the maelstrom of Branca's amplified music are some very delicate homemade instruments, like the harmonic guitar that he demonstrated for us. Well, it's really incredibly simple. Um, it's really just a two by four with uh, steel wires strung across it. <laughs> it, has, uh, it has three bridges. Basically, one bridge holds it down on the left side, and uh, the other bridge um, is on the... Uh, is on the other side and of course there are uh, tuning pins on uh, on one side of the bridge so I can change the tuning of the strings but they're not absolutely necessary if you don't want to change the tuning. Uh, the main difference between this and um, another instrument is that there's a third bridge directly in the middle right on what's called the uh, what I call the octave node or the second harmonic node and uh, of course there's a guitar pickup what I've also done is I've um, marked the exact locations of the first uh, 21 harmonic nodes on this side of the string that I actually play. I, uh, now the string is played with, a, well I play with a glass bar, I mean it could be played with a steel that, uh, that a lap steel guitarist would use and, and a regular guitar pick. And I play the, the instrument on the side of the string that doesn't have the pickup, which means that uh, basically none of the fundamental tones of the string are picked up. They're there, but uh, the pickup doesn't hear them. The pickup only hears the uh, sympathetic resonation of the, uh, of the other side of the string, because I'm not actually touching the other side of the string. It's just kind of vibrating sympathetically with, uh, with the side of the string that I am playing. This is a rare chance to hear this instrument, isolated from Branca's electronic storm. That's how I like to think of Glenn Branca screaming on a wave of sound into an infinity of overtones. That piece ran in the mid-1980s on an episode of the documentary series Totally Wired. Glenn Branca, now gone at the age of 69. 
That ends a special Echoes podcast. Our regular podcast this week will feature Brian Eno. Thanks for tuning in. Drop us a note, leave a comment on Apple Music, or just drop a donation at echoes.org. <laughs>